gentlemen welcome to box office pulp your one-stop podcast for movies madness moxie and tonight i just realized i wrote jumpy trips down ba- memory lane and i had a hard time parsing what the fuck i wrote because who says jumpy trips <laughs> <laughs> you do Cody. Ooh, you ooh, do. Ooh, ooh. i was uh fucking writing this in midnight i'm gonna mulligan that one here hold on let me do a quick rewrite wow we are five seconds in a new record I didn't even misspeak. I just typed dumb. I think you should have just rolled with it. I could have. We still can. Trips down memory lane into the basement of childhood trauma. On this episode, we're discussing all things in the kids' horror canon. I'm your host, Cody, and joining me today is my co-host, Mike, a mummy accidentally awoken from his 3,000-year slumber and who can't go back to sleep until he finds his reincarnated love. Say hello, Mike. Mm. Oh, you're adorable and so good with kids. Mm. <laughs> You said it. You said it. Took the words right out of my mouth. Oh no, now I'm on a skateboard. Ah, oh, it's wacky. I love this movie already so much. Also joining us today is Jamie, the prank-playing boogie woman who lives under my bed and keeps framing me for egging my landlord's children. I'm going to be evicted probably now. Say hello, Jamie. Uh, I told you whenever we first met, Cody, I'm a sociopath. it's my favorite version of that old urban legend (laughs) instead of just licking my hand like you're the family dog hiding underneath my bed it's just a crazy person who eggs my landlord to piss me off (laughs) why isn't that urban legend part three why are we really gonna get into the urban legend series now not the urban legend series but close (laughs) enough scary stories to tell in the dark because, boy, that shit was traumatizing and designed for children. I love it so much. Before we jump into the nostalgia train, <laughs> uh, I want to back up a little bit. At the start of the episode, I said we're covering the kids' canon of horror. And I realize some of you are probably saying, oh, what could you explain that a little more? Because I think it's a dumb idea. And I will do that now. So let's break this down to two parts here. We're going to talk about the idea of horror films. That's easy enough. Everyone understands horror, hopefully, maybe. I would say maybe not as much as we think. If we look at the definition of horror films, where do you stop? Do you say it has to be some sort of supernatural threat? Does it have to have a monster? It can be tough to say. Then if you look at successful horror films, it seems like uh, critics are always very eager to take that title away. Something like Silence of the Lambs sweeps the uh, Oscars and it gets called a psychological thriller. Uh... Remember last year when it made like $700 million worldwide and all of a sudden everyone started saying, you know, maybe that's not actually just a horror film. Maybe that's some sort of uh, some sort of thriller with monsters. Elevated horror. And who can forget that laugh riot? Get out. <laughs> right. So there's so many of these movies that I feel genre fans are looking and go, yes, that is clearly horror. But people less familiar with the genre go, well, I don't know. This doesn't seem like horror to me. And anytime we're talking about like a slasher film, it's it's strange because in the early entries of those, it's typically just a normal person with a knife, which you would think would fall into thriller territory. But almost no one would say that. Everyone would look at something like Friday the 13th Part 1 and say, no, that's a horror film. But what's the difference between something like that and Red Eye, other than one set in a spooky cabin and the other one is set on an airplane? 
Also, Red Eye doesn't have like 30 sequels, which is a shame. Could you imagine? Oh, could you imagine? Came back as like a zombie with a pen <laughs> stuck in his throat. Oh my god, I'd be so for that. He has a literal red eye, like in that weird trailer for that movie. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> he just his eye gets bloodier as the films go on, so he looks like fucking Zuko from Avatar. <laughs> I'm so glad somebody else remembers that. Red Eye? Oh, I miss. I really wish Red Eye was out on Blu-ray. I think that one's only on a DVD. Oh, Red Eye is so good. But no, I meant specifically the trailer to Red Eye. Where they really wanted you to believe that that was about the the Scarecrow returning as a supervillain named the Red Eye. <laughs> Anything to get love, people to forget what it was. I love whenever movie trailers just make up their own movie. <laughs> it's delightful. It's one way to get around spoilers. What if we just told an alternate universe story? We'll make an Elseworlds out of this movie. My favorite is for the uh, Forbidden Kingdom, that Jet Li and Jackie Chan movie from 10 years ago where the ad campaign just lied to everyone. Man, now I don't even want to do this episode. I just want to talk about Red Eye. But I'm not going to because that's a different episode now. That's our, I'm going to say next episode. It's not going to be our next episode. Back to the idea of boxing in adult horror. I think it's it's difficult, really, if you try and define the borders of it. It's, uh, you know, that old chestnut about distinguishing art from porn. You'll know it when you see it. So some of these might be subjective. When we say, yeah, this falls into horror, you might kind of shake your head and go, no, that's dumb. But hey, this is the Bob canon, so eh, we'll do what we want. The second part of that is I think kids' horror is specifically horror aimed at children. You know, a lot of us might have watched things as children that scared the hell out of us. Maybe you were able to stay up late and watch some Tales from the Crypt episodes. Those I don't think were designed for kids, even though they had all the things that kids get a kick out of. That was pretty much an adult show that kids might enjoy if they could sneak a look into it. So in my mind, for something to fall into the realm of kids' horror, it has to be something that was made for children. And it doesn't even necessarily need to be scary. I think if you look at most scary shows for kids, they're, they're normally more creepy, or they play on different fears than adults have. But you don't get what are the normal landmarks for what we consider horror. You don't have a lot of blood or guts, nudity, swearing, alcohol, teenagers acting inappropriately. So a lot of them might not feel like traditional horror films, but I don't like the idea of drawing a line in the sand based off of, hey, does this thing make me jump? Then it's a horror movie. Because if we start bringing that in, where does it end? Does that mean stuff like the Universal Monster movies could age out of being horror films and into something like dark fantasies? You begin to see that already with people labeling them gothic thrillers. Gothic thrillers. I have seen I like that. Yeah. An air or something. <laughs> they just have to take thriller and like, what can we attach to this now to cover it? Mm. It already means nothing, so we can attach it to anything. <laughs> it's I don't I don't know. Do we do we define horror based on something as subjective as scariness or the number of jump scares in it? I, I don't like how restrictive that is, and I don't like the idea of everything falling outside of it just being lumped into some new made-up genre. Horror is a very versatile genre, and I've said this many times in the past, and I think people who try to put horror into a box start having this issue, and then it starts getting to arguments of, oh, is this real horror, or is this fake horror, or is this blah, blah, blah. There's not really a clear-cut definition of what horror is. Because horror, I think at its core, it's like its primordial philosophical core is about the strange and the unknown, which can take on literally any form. 
Michael Myers counts as the strange unknown. He's just evil. Uh, the mummy is the strange and the unknown because it's a goddamn undead mummy, mummy shuffling around. You know, Dracula, the same thing. Um, Hellraiser, same thing. Silence of the Lambs, kind of the strange thing because we don't normally encounter serial killers in real life. Like, it's part of reality, yes, but for everyday living, it is the strange and the unknown that's lurking just outside of you. And that can apply to both the normal and the paranormal. Yeah, it's a great way to think of it. Quick question. Where would you lump in uh, real monsters? Um, delightful. That is the correct answer. <laughs> I will say, all real monsters, if, like, for its art design alone, has earned a place in the annals of horror, like kids or otherwise. <laughs> I feel like that show does not get enough love. I, while, while just thinking of this episode earlier today and, like, making a list of, like, uh, some couple movies that I, you know, couple movies and TV shows I liked a lot as a kid that were horror, I just stopped and then just wistfully thought of all real monsters for a while. It's a really <laughs> long time just sitting there. Uh, that was a, was a great show. People don't talk about that enough. My arcade, my local arcade, had an all real monsters machine. Oh, that's awesome. There there was an Ah uh, Real Monsters arcade game? Uh yeah, but it was more of a carnival game. It was um Oh. It was like the uh the Bop the Heads thing. Yeah, oh, okay. But it was Ah Real Monsters. It was, it was like you would remember the X Men game in the It was arcades? a side scrolling beat 'em up. Like <laughs> yeah. Like you could you could play the, the woman who that held eyeballs, just throw eyeballs at bad guys. X Men. I love the idea of the monsters fucking people up. <laughs> I'd play that game God if only you could play as the teacher from that game Which I'm still convinced was the inspiration For Professor Snape That guy would just be the boss He'd be, he'd be the guy that just flash red at the end of the game Beat the shit out of you so you had to put in like 30 more quarters Get back on track Man I love all real monsters <laughs> But that's a show that I mean in, in no real sense is designed to be scary It's, it's a comedy and it's animated. There's there's no way most people are going to get spooked by it. I don't know if kids, very young children, would be set off by it, but I doubt it because it's designed to be a comedy. But it does have a horror element to it in the fact of the designs, like Jamie said, everything's designed to be very grotesque in that world. I mean, all the characters live inside of a dump and eat garbage for substance. Plus, the, the in-show premises, these monsters are monsters that would sneak out into the human world and their jobs were just to scare the shit out of children. So children are being scared, just not the real life ones. So it shows the process of a horror film. It has definite horror elements. In my mind, I think that's almost good enough to go into the kids' horror canon. Oh, yeah. it's It involves weirdness and oddities. Yeah. Uh, and I, I didn't get to the second half of my definition yet. The canon, which some people might not be familiar with, with the concept of uh, a canon. Uh, I came into it in college where we discussed the Western literary canon. And let me save you a Google and just verbatim read what's on the screen. I don't have anyone to quote this to, but Google. So thanks, Google. The term literary canon refers to a body of books, narratives, and other texts considered to be the most important and influential of a particular time period or place. For example, take 19th century American literature. I think that's uh, kind of what we're doing here. In Bob, we've obviously seen 
tons of these things. I grew up with all this stuff. And I remember Halloween episodes on TV shows were almost, always my favorite. <laughs> so I, I kind of cataloged all these things in my head. And most of them were pretty bad, and I've forgotten about them over time. But some of them stuck with me. And I wanted to spend today kind of talking about what these films are, how they impacted us, and really how they led us to become hardcore genre fans. Because I don't think enough people give respect to these influences. You know, the new Fangoria just came out, and people look back at that, and they talk about, oh, that's what got me into horror. And it seems strange, because that's a big jump. Like, one, you got to be able to read, and two, your parents have to let you pick up a magazine that's just filled with, like, severed heads. <laughs> I feel like you were probably a little younger, unless you were Mike. I think, Mike, they start, your parents started you off with, like, Hellraiser when you were two. I was five. Five, sorry. Five. There was stuff I had seen before then, but that's not the point. You mentioned Hell's, <laughs> Hellraiser, and I was five. My hyperbole gets me in trouble again. <laughs> uh, I think for most of us, we didn't start off on the deep end of the pool. We kind of waded in. We, we watched stuff like Hocus Pocus or uh, maybe more recently Coraline, if you're a younger listener. Do we, do we have listeners who are under, like, 20? That'd be weird. Thanks, guys, for showing up. Uh, this has the uh, explosive tag on it. What, why are you? Why are you listening? Please like and subscribe. <laughs> Smash that subscribe button, <laughs> and I've scared them all away. Congratulations! No, don't say Good. smash to children. That's yes, you're right. You're correct on that. I rescind the smash offer. More recently, I was in a theater watching a house with a clock in its walls which is a very strange blend because Eli Roth, well-known for the hostile films for adults, uh, made a, a PG-rated horror film for kids. It's a horror comedy, but there's a lot of spooky elements to it. And as I was watching that, it really struck me like, wow, when kids are growing up, a lot of them probably will see this in theaters or they'll see it on replays on TV, and that this will be the movie maybe that convinced them, hey, that was a lot of fun. I'd like to know more about these kind of things. Who the hell is this Eli Roth character? And then an eight-year-old accidentally stumbles into watching a movie about a guy in a chair having a drill pressed into his chest. Mommy, is that the bear Jew? <laughs> the bear Jew, Johnny. <laughs> I think, in my mind, that's kind of how it works out. You take these baby steps. You start with something like Goosebumps or A House with a Clock in Its Walls or maybe Jack Black broke into your house once. And the next thing you know, you're, you're bit-torrenting Evil Dead, so you can watch that while your parents are on vacation. Uh, there's a definite um, escalation when it comes to, I think, a horror fan. Uh, most of the time, other people come in later at life, but I think most... Uh, every kid is exposed to, I think, horror in different ways. Um, horror media in different ways when they're, when they're young. And... Uh, you know, then the a section of that kind of falls away, and they move on to something they watch when they're kids. And the other, it uh, it percolates in the back of their head, and they start uh, almost like a entry drug. They start looking for the next big thing, and you know, you start while well, reading, you know, goosebumps uh, novels or little or just small, even innocuous things like all oh, real monsters, which didn't you know didn't scare you technically, but had some monsters in it and you start like oh this has monsters this has monsters and then you're you know you're seeing uh, a friday the 13th movie that's going to be on at like 11 p.m way past your bedtime <laughs> then you sneak downstairs and turn the tv on and watch it with the volume on two <laughs> like right up against the screen nothing is scarier than two <laughs> like is, was, is this the sound is this the hum of the tv who knows that was, that was the number in my head as well i was thinking back like oh, we had this giant zenith tv in our basement <laughs> so i'd sneak downstairs and turn that sucker on and 
you know, if if you, I think it had like a volume scale out of like fifteen or some stupid weird number. <laughs> so if you went to like three people on the other side of the steps, might hear it. And if you had it on one, it was basically just off. So two was the magic number, but it also meant you heard jack shit. But you, and you also had to keep your hand like hovering right over the volume knob the entire time. Oh yeah. In case anything gets loud, oh, quick mute it. If your parents came downstairs and you turned that TV off. It was one of the old ones, so it's still kind of a glow to it for a minute. Oh, you it were just in my fucked. experience. Yeah, I'd be, uh, what were you doing here at midnight? Oh, shit. My game was always to keep the finger hovering above the previous channel button. So if you got caught, you could at least cut your losses and make it look like you were watching Cartoon Network. Same. <laughs> Until Adult Swim came on, in which case I'd just be switching to Adult Swim at that point, and that was a whole other can of worms. <laughs> just fade at Valentine's eyes bulging. Oh, exactly. <laughs> Ladies on the picture tube, good heavens, son, what oh, have you oh. done? Watch real porn. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. That was a good fatherly talk. I feel educated now. I've, I've learned so much about the ways of the woman. I'm curious what it was for you guys. I know Mike especially had a much more, uh, shall we say, richer experience with horror (laughs) at a younger age. But for me, my big horror uh, starter drug, I think it was the same way for a lot of people, was the It miniseries. I didn't catch that one until a little bit later, but judging by the number of people online who are traumatized by that thing, I don't think you're wrong. Because I would make the argument that that counts as part of the kids' canon. Well, it was made for TV. And, like, back in the day when made for TV didn't mean it could be something like on FX, where it might be literally just an R-rated show that happens to be on cable. Hey, it's primetime weekday. It was, and as a kid, it was the only Stephen King you were allowed to see because it was made for TV, despite the fact that it was incredibly disturbing to all of us. Yeah, I, same with uh, Salem's Lot. That got the same treatment. Yeah, yeah. I've never, I've never really considered that, but because it's because those things were made for TV, even though they, um, for the time, pushed the envelope quite a bit, uh, particularly it, and were highly disturbing. They were fairly family friendly if you can call them that they got grandfathered into the rest of our diet of kids entertainment because it was pg-13 and had kids in it so it got lumped in with the goonies and gremlins and shit yeah well gremlins in my mind is kind of a fascinating example of how designated audiences change over time yeah when gremlins came out i that was right before the PG-13 switch, correct? Yeah, uh, so. yeah, that was the last one, I think. Yeah, yeah Gremlins and Temple of Doom. Yeah, we didn't get PG-13 until 1984, and I'd argue that was a huge, huge factor in determining the kids' canon. Uh, in my mind, if you look back, hell, to like the 50s or something, when you know my parents were growing up, TV had a limited number of channels. You turned on like three or four different channels, and that's what you had to play with. So in the morning were cartoons specifically aimed for children then that ended and the rest of the day was media that was designed for adults or at least to be you know family friendly it was good for everyone but as time marched on all of a sudden we get cable and now there's hundreds of channels so now there's like hyper specific advertisements there there's 
if you want a channel just for comedy and that's all it is uh there's channels just with cartoons and that's all there is they can go towards very niche audiences now instead of trying to appeal to everyone and i think that's only gotten i don't want to say worse it's gotten more specific over time as we move to things like netflix where they really can target the shows towards very 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 specific groups you could have uh, things that are designed to be scary for five-year-olds, eight-year-olds, 10-year-olds, 40-year-olds, and it's all separate from each other. And maybe even specific to genre, there could be you know specific comedies for 10-year-olds or whatever else. So in trying to judge the kid's work and it becomes trickier now because there's so many different points that you could judge it based off of. Where is the line drawn for kids? You know, if it's if it's made for 13-year-olds, is that too old to be considered a kid anymore? I don't know. Now it's even more confusing and muddled. Yeah, I think you kind of lose something as well with the over curation of kids entertainment, because thinking about the subject, that's something that really stood out to me, how pretty much since the early to mid 20th century, horror has kind of belonged to children in a certain extent, in a certain way, which I think is entirely just because of early television recycling cheap production boom movies like horror and westerns those genres that were very much made for adults at the time of their production but you had to fill cheap television with something so fill it with wall-to-wall schlocky horror movies (laughs) and westerns and within a generation those genres belong to kids and i think Despite the fact that adult horror has come back again and again and again, that's still something up until this point that's really ingrained in our society. Like childhood is about horror movies the same way it's about superheroes and silly comedies. Yeah, Think of it this way. Uh, If you saw a bunch of 20 year olds walking into Hellfest, you wouldn't even think anything of it. That's the expected target range. If you saw a 65 year old man walk into Hellfest, you'd probably scratch your head a little bit like, oh, I didn't know Grandpa wanted to go see that, which is where I demand to be when I'm that old. I want to be the guy going to (laughs) slasher movies for 20-year-olds. I think we're going to move towards that as a society because our generation has refused to give up some of those things that older generations have been happy to move past, or at least pretend they've moved past. Oh, yeah. But to go back a little bit further, to, to go to something like Gremlins or even Poltergeist, since we didn't have as clear of definitions for children versus teenagers versus adults in terms of horror, you get something like Gremlins that's rated PG, but is still going to be terrifying to young kids. It's it's technically designed for them, but it's deeper than they can touch. You can't put their feet on the ground for that one. Same with Poltergeist. And yet, people from our generation love those movies. It's also a little weird because they show Gremlins on like ABC Family pretty often. Very often. But if I if I talk to my friends who have newborns, I'm like, so what age are you going to watch Gremlins? They almost all say, uh, it's going to be a while. <laughs> like, they're going to hold on to that one until they're, you know, fairly old, which they can try all they want. Kids will find stuff. Oh, it's it's funny that the amount of um, things that are kind of considered horror movies kids can watch, horror movies for kids and whatnot. You see them on lists a lot, but unlike stuff like, Paranorman or Monster House or Coraline or or Goosebumps or, or or things like that. They're more of like accidents of birth than anything else. Like they weren't supposed to be <laughs> just by sheer 
they were accessible to kids when they came out because they didn't have they they weren't particularly gory or they didn't have the R rating moniker. Even even some that when the PG thirteen rating did appear, there there wasn't like enough of a gulf to a parent to forbid you from being able to watch it. So if you were interested enough, they would either take you to see it or you'd see it on VHS. Yeah. And they ended up kind of rolling into being a kid's horror uh, film purely because the market for it kind of appeared and people took advantage of that. And it was a thing like, oh, you want to scare your kids? Show them, show them gremlins. It's, it's, it's up there, but it's still kind of safe. Because it's got like gizmo in it and shit, so it's a little, it's it's a little uh, saucy on the horror side. But you, you'll, they'll, they'll, they're not going to have like tons of nightmares because of Gremlins. Hopefully not, J.K. They will. I think Disney was kind of the champion at that. Yeah. Even even in the movies they made that weren't horror movies, hell, no one in the right mind would say Dumbo is a scary movie. But. Plenty of people would tell you the pink elephant scene is terrifying. <laughs> Disney just snuck that one in there. Or think about the witch scenes all the way back in Snow White or the, the dragon fight in Sleeping Beauty. There's a lot of fairly dark, scary scenes in Disney films, which is very odd when you go back and think about how everyone thinks of Disney as being this purified, maybe a little too squeaky clean company that, you know, just makes safe children's entertainment. A lot of Disney is not that. Quality Disney isn't anyways. Hell. But on the other end, you've got something like the Black Cauldron that had to be essentially neutered because they let it go too far into frightening territory. Disney walks a very careful line and doesn't mind putting in some scary stuff, but they, I don't know, provide a safe spot for children to start off with horror, I think. Probably some of my earliest horror experience would be watching Disney movies. Did you guys remember, like, being terrified at all by... Uh, the Cave of Wonders in Aladdin. Was that just me? Oh, that that scene was terrifying. Especially that giant gaping maw closing <laughs> shut at the last moment. When it kills the first guy who wanders in there, that, that really spooked me. So, you know, when Aladdin goes in, it's like, oh, God, I'm too dumb and young to figure out that Aladdin is the hero. And if they crush him <laughs> in the cave in the first 20 minutes, there is no more movie. It's not going to be about Jafar. So it was it was it was terrifying to me. And that movie isn't a horror movie at all. That's a swashbuckling adventure romance comedy. Disney were, were masters at sneaking those scenes in. And those are the scenes I really loved as a kid. They were the most exciting to watch. Because I didn't really understand a lot of plot or anything else like that. You know, it's you just get feelings from scenes and you get the point, but you don't necessarily understand the finer subtleties of it. Exactly. When, when you're a kid, you understand emotion first and foremost. And, you know, fear is the one that's most available to any living being and I, I think bringing up Disney kind of brings up why kids horror works so well because it's actually a very thin line between how Disney operates and operated versus kid horror and why they were able to slide into it during their kind of dark period or they released a lot of like fairly straightforward forward horror films because what it comes down to is Disney movies were great because they didn't bullshit to the audience, which were children. Uh, yes. You watch a lot of those movies, they hold up because there's no talking down. Everything is very straightforward, like it's for a grown-up audience. And that's why kids kind of love horror. That's 
designed for them, that's a little, little bit more friendly towards them, or horror in general, because being a kid is kind of a terrifying thing, and you're you're being told constantly by uh, the adults around you, by your parents, by your safe places that no, every everything's fine, everything's fine, everything's going to be okay. Don't don't worry. Don't. There's no reason to be afraid. Blah blah blah. And there's tons of other things going on. You know, you when you're a kid, you absorb your parents' problems. You have constant fears uh, thrown at you. You know, don't talk to strangers. Don't be be careful. You're constantly, essentially, about to be snatched because you have no control over <laughs> yourself. And meanwhile, kids horror talks very straight to you. It gives you a nice controlled environment for your fear. It also shows you things like, yeah, you're afraid of uh, the thing in your closet, and your parent's going to tell you that there's nothing in your closet, and you're not going to believe your parent at all when they tell you that. <laughs> but what you'll what you'll do is you'll watch a horror movie, it's on Disney or something, that has a thing that's living in the closet, and you get to see the kid in the movie deal with the thing that's in the closet, and you can come to understand that thing a little bit better. And you, there's a lot of subtle things throughout horror movies where it drops other little bits, like a kid who is absorbing by osmosis, um, you know, the financial troubles of their parents, but don't know how to really deal or understand that. And you see a lot of kids' horror media work that stuff in there. And to me, it's the same basic principle that Disney has. Um, Disney throws a lot of a very through their fairy tales and and all that they throw very adult themes and ideas at the child without sugarcoating it at all and a child will latch on and understand and that's why they can go into horror so easily throughout even their non-horror films because well they need to have stakes so that scene in Aladdin has to happen because this is this kind of world these are the stakes that are present uh, you know, death is real in Disney films versus a lot of other kids' media. So when they start making Except like George of the Jungle, well, in that case, you just fall down and get really bad boo boos. Well, you'd never know when you're going to hit a tree. <laughs> it's true. You got to look out. <laughs> so them going from you know Snow White into uh, the Watcher in the Woods isn't actually like that weird. When people like look back, like, oh, that's when Disney got strange. It's actually a very straight line to that. Like, that was always <laughs> in their DNA. And I feel like that's something that kids appreciate tremendously, too. Oh, kids eat that up. I mean, you look at the boom in horror comics in the 40s, which were mainly being bought by kids. Like, what was speaking to them about that? And it, it was the honesty. Like, there is something well, incredibly. There's something incredibly validating when you're a small child to hear somebody else, even if it is another adult, look down and say, yeah, all the stuff you're worried about is true. Mom and dad are not OK. The world isn't a fair place. God may not take care of you because so much of what you hear from as a kid is the opposite. It's like kid, above everything else, kids just want truth. Two things. One Thank you for that, because now I know what I'm going to put in my niece and nephew's Christmas cards this year. And <laughs> two, Mike, you took all the notes right off my page, so we're going to have to start over so I can say them, because I want to look like the smart guy. You <laughs> son of a bitch. Hey, I ruined Cody. You monster. 
But no, I, I totally agree. I think it's really important for kids to be able to experience danger from a safe environment, which, you know, is whatever media they consume. Sure, they might have some nightmares, but they're working through these fears and they're confronting them. I, I sound like an old person already when I'm like, oh, we all live sheltered lives. We've got to put them out there and see if they get snatched by bad people. But I, I do think we need to expose ourselves to more real anxieties to be able to handle fear and get our way through real life situations. And, hell, early viewing horror movies are a great introduction for that. They introduce just enough panic that a kid can handle so that eventually they can grow past it. That's like the uh, famous J.K. Chesterton quote that uh, children's stories don't teach children that dragons are real. They teach them that dragons can be defeated. Exactly. That guy sounds like he's a secret dragon. (laughs) (laughs) I knew it. Feed me another child. I mean, warrior. But growing up, I I think my path was a lot of the Disney stuff. You get a scary scene there, scary scene here. Then maybe watching TV shows. As I mentioned before, the Halloween episodes were fantastic. I absolutely loved those. And there are those unexpected glimpses into, a lot of times, spoofs of adult horror. So you got a a taste of it there. Uh, Boy, stuff like uh, the the Simpsons Treehouse of Terror episodes. Treehouse of Horror episodes. Does that bother anyone else? Shouldn't it should be an alliteration, right? I think they talked no. about it on the commentary at one point. <laughs> Did they explain why they didn't go that route? Was it like copyrighted? No, I think they were literally confused why they didn't call it Treehouse of Terror because it would be a good alliteration. Right. Oh, drives me bananas. But a lot of those episodes, pretty much all of those episodes, at least in the first few years, I haven't watched it recently, so I'm not totally up to date. They would do things like a parody of Night of the Comet or King Kong. Frankenstein, you name it, they would they would just kind of hash those out again, but made in a way that was a little bit more kid friendly. I know for some kids growing up, the Simpsons were considered kind of risque, but at the time they were probably more palatable for parents than the actual horror movies they were based on. You know, they weren't going to have their kids sit in front of the TV and watch Bram Stoker's Dracula. A lot of those episodes were legitimately scary too. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, like the cannibalism episode still gives me the willies. <laughs> the willies, because. Groundskeeper Willie. I'll Saving show myself from the out. Wee Turtles. <laughs> and not even The Simpsons. There are so many other shows that did Halloween episodes. Pretty much, pretty much everything on like Cartoon Network or Nickelodeon had to have one. Uh, hey, Arnold, I think, had a couple of Halloween episodes. There was one where they thought they got on a train that was uh, hellbound. That was fun. <laughs> that's where my obsession with ghost trains came from. <laughs> yeah, that's. I am obsessed with that period where every single episode like every single series no matter what the tone had to have a spooky dookie halloween episode and oh, that's how we it. got that's how we got stevel and carl's bad break dancing on the set of family matters the most ape shit thing i've ever seen <laughs> <laughs> oh god i forgot about that tiny uh, tunes had about, a good one yeah, oh, one, yeah. one of my favorites and this was a live action which is surprising boy meets world where they did uh and then there was sean which was basically like a slasher parody where oh, yeah. all of the Boy Meets World <laughs> cast was that. murdered one by one. My favorite part of that episode, for anyone who hasn't seen it in a while, let me refresh you. The lights go out. They're all inside the school. The lights come back on, and one of the characters has been killed with a pencil through his skull into a wall. And then he slides down to the floor and collapses dead. And, and somebody walks up and points at the door and like, we'll always know he was this tall when he died. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good joke 
That's a great joke about a murdered kid in a, a show about growing up. <laughs> I loved it. That episode love, was amazing. I love how those episodes always gave you a glimpse into the show those writers really wanted to be writing. They they managed to make that one canon, too. It wasn't even a one-off because one of the characters wakes up and it turns out it was a dream he had in the aftermath of like breaking up with Topanga or something like that. I think it was Corey's fever dream or something dumb. But it's still technically part of the show. He had a dream about murdering all his friends. Do you think that carries over to Girl Meets World? I wish, I hope. I haven't seen any of that show, but I hope they have as cool of a Halloween episode. It's going to be hard to match, though. I, I feel like most shows don't do that cool of a Halloween episode anymore. No, if they I, do I, at all. I think a lot of them just do a typical, it's Halloween, let's go trick-or-treating, and then we get into yeah. our normal shenanigans. Yeah. I like the ones where it's an actual what-if one-off, where everyone could actually die or something horrible happens. Oh, At least the, the Goldbergs fucking... has um, Robert England on this year. But that's such a throwback, oh, it almost insane. doesn't count. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the crown prince of those uh, from our childhood, I still feel is the Salute Your Shorts Halloween <laughs> episode. The fucking horrifying Freddy Krueger knockoff who didn't have a nose. <laughs> I, I, I still have nightmares about that dude sometimes. What was what was the first movie that you remember having a nightmare from? Oh God! Hmm. Well, you guys are thinking I can I can give mine. I was at a friend's house. My parents dropped me off at a buddy's place so they could like go party. I think it was during around Halloween. Um, and we had on like I don't even think it was on TV. I think it was on a VHS tape. It was Mars Attacks right after it came out, which is hilarious going back now because that is not a scary movie. But to very young Cody watching Mars Attacks, it was terrifying. Like, just, just seeing the aliens incinerate people in jokey ways. I did not take that as funny. I just took that as incredibly macabre. So I had nightmares for weeks after that movie that aliens were going to break into my house and incinerate my family with ray guns. And I had to hide in the laundry hamper to, to avoid them <laughs> because I couldn't get my hands on any country music. Oh, yeah, that's the plot of that movie. Yeah. So, <laughs> it's been a while. So for some reason... Mars Attacks is like one of those first movies that just absolutely scared the hell out of me. And and uh, Jumanji as well, because I'm not a fan of spiders. I had to leave the theater <laughs> during the climax of Jumanji because I couldn't get past the spiders. Yeah, that was rough. Speaking My... of spiders, uh, one quick tangent here. Mike had recommended to me that I should watch Something Wicked This Way Comes. So I picked that up and he warned me there were spider scenes. And I saw like one spider in the store. I'm like, oh, that wasn't so bad. And then, spoilers, there's a scene where a room just turns into tarantulas. <laughs> just a sea of it's spiders. A, it's just a room of spiders. And I was like, uh, what the fuck? This is for, like, nine-year-olds. Damn you, Disney. Damn you, right to hell. Damn you, Bradbury. <laughs> and that's that between that movie and arachnophobia or why I'm arachnophobic. <sighs> My sister tricked me into watching parts of arachnophobia because she knew I hated spiders. Can't like, do I it. In room, like, what you watching? She's like, oh, nothing. Check it out. You'll like it. It's a spooky movie. And then Spider's like, oh, what the fuck? I think I watched Arachnophobia multiple times as a child for some reason. And now I, I, I guess because I hated myself from an early age. I don't I don't know. <laughs> and I cannot go back. Like, I guess I was braver as a six year old or something. I, I can't fucking do it. Just seeing a screenshot that doesn't contain spiders freaks me out. It's like, oh, look at John Goodman. He doesn't know what's going to come to him. <laughs> John Goodman standing by cobwebs. Oh, God! <laughs> um, I, I don't think a movie ever gave me a nightmare. I think the thing that uh, gave me a nightmare as a kid, 
I think was a uh, Bigfoot episode of the X-Files. <sighs> Either Bigfoot or uh, Nessie. I don't really remember off the top of my head. I remember uh, an episode of X-Files giving me... Because X-Files, I watched a lot as a kid. And uh, X-Files, spooky. <laughs> Those intro credits, yeah. I never watched any as a kid. But I remember just knowing it was a spooky adult show simply from the theme music. Oh, that intro scared the hell out of me. Yeah. Also, mine is from the X-Files. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Fluke Man. Oh. Fluke Man. Yeah. Yeah. That dude's grody Fluke even man. as an adult. I, I did actually go back to start watching X-Files a couple of years ago, and that episode is pretty entertaining. There's some, basically I found out I like Monster of the Week episodes, and if someone could provide me a list of episodes to watch so I could just skip all of the uh, mythology parts, that'd be dope. Because I, I gave up, I think, around season four. But Fluke Man. X-Files is the only TV series that um, does Monsters of the Week good. Every every other show, everyone just wants to watch like the main storyline stuff, and Monsters of the Week is bullshit. <laughs> X-Files only, people only want to fucking watch Monsters of the Week. I noticed that. That's so weird. That's the one show where it's allowed. That's always a complaint. I remember uh, the first like season of Hannibal, everyone, oh, it's Monster of the Week. Uh, but X-Files comes back, same deal. Oh, it's Monsters of the Week. Thank God. Yes. Nothing, no alien conspiracies. <laughs> They're all terrifying. <laughs> Even the funny ones. <laughs> Even Kumail Nanjiani. Uh, I don't... This... They didn't give me any nightmares, but the Universal Monster movies, my mom used to rent them from our library because they could get old movies for free. So she'd bring back The Creature from the Black Lagoon, The Invisible Man, Dracula, and I absolutely love them. I watched them over and over and over again. But like, it gave me a fear of vampires for a while. So for like a couple months, my parents said I would always go to bed with like a blanket wrapped around my neck and they were afraid I was going to suffocate. <laughs> Cody, is this where the intense fear of Draculae came from? Maybe. It could be. Or uh, to this day, and I think most people have a little bit of this fear, you go swimming in a lake and you just assume there's something down there that's ready to grab your leg. I definitely got that from Creature from the Black Lagoon. Oh, that's where monsters live, Cody. They're all in the lakes. I think I got that, but it was um, from Alligator. Oh, man. Alligator. Boy, that's a film I wish was, like, available in any format. I don't even think you can find the DVD easily. It's very hard, yeah. I, I caught it once on Sci-Fi Channel, and I was so mad I didn't have, like, a VHS tape in so I could have, could have recorded it. I would love to watch that again. That movie actually did, like, a lot of horror movies didn't really fuck my shit up as a kid, but Alligator weirdly did. <laughs> well, that's it. You can't predict what's going to scare a kid, especially, like, super young kids. They don't quite grasp the world like adults do. They don't understand things. They don't have the same context clues for all this stuff. So their mind fills in the gaps, and sometimes in terrifying ways. And they, they just view things differently. So you never can be 100% sure what will and will not scare a child. It, uh, it didn't help that there was like um, kind of this sewer thing near me that looked exactly like something from Alligator. <laughs> so it just looked like it was lurking there, waiting for me to walk home. Man. Now I just really, really want to watch Alligator. Um, to uh. to look at uh, kind of long-running series, though, this one's a little bit of a ways back as to what I would have watched as a kid, but the real Ghostbusters and Extreme Ghostbusters. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Extreme Ghostbusters actually did a pretty good job of making those monsters seem spooky and actually capable of fucking shit up. 
They it was my childhood out. memory of them. I'm sure if I watch them now, like the idea that it's called Extreme Ghostbusters would just make my eyes roll so hard they'd fall <laughs> out of my head. But if I were to track a tra- trajectory, I think it'd be stuff like watching the Extreme Ghostbusters and the Halloween episodes of shows and, and slowly climbing my way up into, you know, stuff that version to PG-13. Uh, I remember reading scary stories to tell in the dark while camping, and that was a terrible idea. I got <laughs> oh, to... Man. The story where, you know, a guy and a girl are, are driving around, they run out of gas, so the guy leaves and the girl hears a scraping on the top of the car and eventually gets out to realize it's like his shoelaces and the man's been hung by a lunatic from a tree right above their car. I was inside of a camper trailer reading this at night by myself because like everyone else had was going to party somewhere. And naturally it was a little bit windy out, so tree branches were just scraping the top of the trailer <laughs> while I'm reading this story. I expected my whole family to be like in those trees when I walked outside. <laughs> Plus, the illustrations in that book are are still horrifying. As an adult, I look at those for about three seconds. I'm like that's enough for now. <laughs> yeah, I have a weird early memory with scary stories to tell in the dark, which is I used to make my aunt's boyfriend read that to me at night whenever they were babysitting me. This is when I was like four years old. (laughs) This kid will never go to sleep now. And uh, her boyfriend was very clearly just there to get laid every night. So he would always rush through them as quickly as possible. So my memory of scary stories to tell in the dark is a 17-year-old monotonously rushing through each story in like 20 seconds. (laughs) So really, that was my <laughs> my earliest introduction to horror. <laughs> the horror of bad readings. It, well, it made it scarier because it was monotonous then. <laughs> like, it was the horror of the mundane. Just a, guy, a guy walks out and a skeleton gets him there. Boogity. Done. I like the idea, though, of you going up to like a bank teller and they replying to you in a monotonous tone and you just start screaming. <laughs> The killer was in the house all along. Oh no, it's the dancing bones. <laughs> I unfortunately didn't read uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark when I was a kid, which is odd because it's me. Right? Those <laughs> things were uh, everywhere. Yeah. I don't understand how they were everywhere. The cover was clearly trying to tell parents to not buy the book. <laughs> <laughs> it's like what? it was like a rattlesnake, you know, shaking the tail, be like, hey, don't fuck with me. It, it was the book form of that, and parents still went, we have to buy all of these copies. Make sure the library has them, too, so the poor kids can also be terrified. We don't <sighs> like our child. Um, <laughs> I loved it, though. I really loved it. And those were terrifying. Those were absolutely terrifying. Oh, horror, uh, horror Lit was um, was pretty fucking big in the 90s, specifically. Like, oh, I was yeah. a huge Goosebumps hound and um, Ooh, Goosebumps yeah. kind of ripoffs. And I used to just go to the library and then just start reading random, creepy, like, uh, alien abduction sh- shits. And I always had a go-to book. I read about Betty and Barney Hill. Um, <laughs> like, all kinds of oddities. And, like, I had, I, I think I still have some of my old goosebumps, too. Like, uh, just reading that stuff, ironically, while camping sometimes. Let's take a moment and just talk about goosebumps. Oh, man. That's a two-headed monster. You have the yeah. book franchise. And you have the TV show. I want to focus on the books for a second, because I was way more into those as a kid. I had access to them. 
because every library in the world jumped for joy when kids decided they liked reading something. They didn't <laughs> give a shit if it was Goosebumps. The kids just wanted to read, so they stocked those motherfuckers. Goosebumps, in my mind, is the perfect kids' book. Oh, you start yeah. with the cover art, which was always something spooky and cool. Like, I want those as posters to this day. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the better ones out there. I really like oh, Say Cheese Mask. and Die. Yes. Uh, Say Cheese and Die always stands out to me, even though it's like the corniest one where it's just a bunch <laughs> of skeletons grilling out. No, uh, no, they're having fun summer festivities. And then the tagline, Say Cheese and Die. <laughs> All of them had those stupid, clever taglines. That as a kid, I, I couldn't get enough of. Like, that was high humor to me. The books are all short enough where you could run through one of those in like a day, which just encourages you like, oh, I'm a speedy reader. I'm smart. I want to read more. And R.L. Stein was like, don't worry. I have like a hundred more of these things to sell you. Please come back. <laughs> and they always had to have that little twist at the end too, which made them very memorable. You would forget like the other 90 pages and remember like that last page where it turns out he was a dog all along. And you were reading for the twist. That was the that was the hook. Oh, that was the oh, magic yeah. of that. Exactly. That's what kept asses in seats. Is you had to wait until the last page to know what was going to make you uncomfortable as you tried to go to bed that night. <laughs> I did love the variety too. He he would do sequels, which was fun, but. Each book seemed to have a completely different approach on monsters. You would sometimes have the abominable snowman of Pasadena, or you might have uh, gnomes, stone <laughs> lawn gnomes, or something like monster blood, or haunted masks. There, there was so many different ideas. It was amazing how fast R.L. Stein could run through those and put out different things. And for a kid, it, it just felt so creative and refreshing. It was something always very different and new. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And again, because there are Volbit libraries, I didn't feel terrible for like making my parents buy me a thousand books. I could just go and rent like three of them at a time, run through them, return them, and then get more. Libraries and book fair favorite. Oh, book fair. Oh, scholastic like a motherfucker. Mm, yeah. Best day ever. Next to the this pizza party. This is going to drive me nuts. There was one like kids horror comic I picked up at a Scholastic Book Fair that I read so much it disintegrated my hands. <laughs> and I, I, God, I wish I could remember some of the plots. It, it was like a kid and his mad scientist uncle just kind of riding around. Fuck, and they, they bump into like every horror cliche out there. Like they accidentally run into a bathroom that has the blob that ate everything like living in the drains and the gas station attendant gets eaten. But they don't notice that because they're too busy like worrying about other things. I think there's an invisible man. There's werewolves. It's got like a page for every monster. Was this Rick and Morty? Did you find a comic that had Rick and Morty 30 years early? Maybe I did. I'm going to go back and find this book now, and it's going to be something 1,000% different than I remember. No, I actually think I may have had this, because it sounds really familiar to me, and I have not thought of any of this in a really long right. time. If anyone at home even slightly thinks they recognize what the hell we're talking about, please, <laughs> please... Go to Twitter at Box Office Pulp, self-promotion, and, and send us the name of this thing. I would love to check it out again. Oh, yeah. And that applies for everything we say on the, these podcasts. If you have any idea what the fuck we're talking about, <laughs> please if you inform have, us. If you have a copy of Alligator, just send a bootleg to us. It's fine. Oh, it's God, not breaking please. the law if it's not available. Oh, and, and honestly, uh, at Box Office Pulp is our Twitter. And if you just want to share, like, your kid's canon of horror from uh, when you were a child, like, what what scared you, what books you liked, and get hard to find with it. Like, we want to see, like, all avenues. Please share your Speaking stories. 
Speaking of all avenues and scholastic book fairs, while doing research for this episode, I bumped into a book I haven't thought about since I was probably like seven, and I just memory lane tripped so hard. I, I almost went out and started like searching the internet for ways to buy books from the 60s. Uh, maybe you guys had a copy of this. I think it was popular, but it's called Spooky Tricks. It was an I Can Read book uh, by Rose Weiler and Gerald Ames, and the premise was it was just a bunch of magic tricks that were so simple, like, you know, a six-year-old could figure them out, but they're all presented as, like, spooky things. Like, one would be you could tie a black thread to a button on your shirt to a ring, and then you put the ring over a candle, and then by slowly moving back and forward in a dark room, you could make it look like you were possessing the ring on the candle or a ghost was picking it up and down. It was shit like that. But as a six-year-old, I was like, oh my god, dark magic. (laughs) (laughs) Get behind me, Satan! It was it was all dumb stuff, you know, just uh, the mascot of the book was this this little ghost called Willie the Ghost. But he looked like he was kind of a napkin that had a little rope tied around his neck, you know, something anyone can make with like a piece of paper. And boy, I, I absolutely loved that book and how weird it felt that <laughs> here's just a bunch of ghost magic tricks. Go learn them, kid. Pretend to trick your friends into thinking the devil's real. <laughs> well, that's always the best stuff whenever you a kid the stuff that makes you feel like arcane secrets of the adult world are being passed on to you and you alone (laughs) that's what i was always perfect about joe dante movies they had that feeling even the his television stuff like eerie indiana oh yeah oh eerie indiana yeah we were just lousy with spooky entertainment when we were kids we had eerie indiana the goosebumps tv series the reigning king, Are You Afraid of the Dark, which oh, yeah. somehow holds up. Oh, very much so. As does actually Eerie Indiana. As yeah. soon as this episode is done, I'm going to hop on Amazon and just buy all of Are You Afraid of the Dark. I don't know why I've waited so long. You should. Yeah, I, I really fine. need to do that as well. And also, I, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention Tales from the Crypt Keeper. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. The Kennison series. It's a show I just have vague memories of, but the fact I remember it at all is impressive. It's still fun to go back and watch, too. Like, it is totally just kid-friendly Tales from the Crypt. It's as straightforward as that. That's Tales from the Crypt with pretty much, like, the nudity and gore and stuff cut out. Like, just very straightforward, like, EC comic stories, but just for kids. I think that format's perfect for kids. You got the anthology thing, so they don't need to know anything. They can just watch a random episode and be as happy as any other episode. Uh, It always had that kind of twist ending, too. Kids fucking love twist endings. I'm pretty sure that's the only reason I love Lovecraft. I read those books very young, and each one had to have like that last line written in italics that would tell you everything was different now. It's odd. Kids love, uh, when it comes to anything, particularly horror, morality plays. Yeah, the thing that seems like it's more fit for adults, but kids actually are the ones who really gravitate towards it. It's because their brains are soaking up so much of that stuff that it actually impacts them. Kids will actually believe those. Adults see the morality play and they're like, I'm the way I am. I don't want to be better. <laughs> it was, it was I'm like the unmoving rock. Exactly. I'll use these Here's... nine lives to make money. years ago i i remember my nephew uh watched the lord of the rings movies for the first time and he he loved them and i asked him what his favorite part was and he looked up at me he was like standing and you know very tiny hobbit size maybe even uh and he went little people can do big things too 
and he, he believed it so hard. It was heartwarming. <laughs> because that was awesome. never the thing I took to heart when I watched those movies as like, what? When did this come out? I must have been like 11. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't learn anything out of those movies, whereas my little nephew watched it and he was inspired <laughs> to be a better person and to change the world. That's the great things about the great thing about kids is everything matters to them. Yeah. No, that's just more terrifying. I made so many mistakes. <laughs> uh, let's go let's go back to less terrifying ideas like the scary shows we're talking about. Do you guys remember Big Wolf on Campus? Yes. Oh, yeah. That one for some Change reason was I'm going through. That one was always on TV, so somehow I managed to catch like every episode of that show. That's probably like one of the few TV shows as a kid I was like up and current on somehow. Another appearance of fucking ABC Family. Oh yeah, the patron saint of box office pulp. Somehow they, well, fuck, they they don't mind doing marathons of good movies or taking a good movie and just showing it constantly. They're committed to holidays. I have to say that. Who else is out there doing thirteen days of Halloween? At thirty-one <laughs> this year. I mean, yeah. it's there's freeform now, but you know. Yeah, well, so it's an effort. God, speaking of, do you guys remember a show that was on ABC Family? I think this was back when it was Fox Family, called Monster Farm. No. I think it yeah. was awesome. Yeah. It was, like Ors- it was like Orson's Farm from Garfield, but all of the animals were monsters. The farm for monsters? Like they're, they're milking hydras? No, they're all regular farm animals, just monster versions. Like there was a, a sheep that transformed into a wolf and shit. <laughs> okay. That seems like a good way to never get, you know, slaughtered. I believe I wanna say that there was a Frankenstein pig that like there there was a lot of stuff going on in the show. It was very it's another animal dark. that could never get slaughtered. One, it's probably super strong. Two, it's probably all rotting meat. You wouldn't want to eat any Franken-pig. That's your takeaway. You know, actually, it makes me wonder. If you were to kill and eat Frankenstein, would he be delicious? No, because no. he's dead tissue. He's dead. Exactly. So, uh, a then what's your point? Pig, you know, a Frankenstein pig would be terrible. There's no reason to keep that guy on a farm. He would just taste bad if they ever used him. To yeah, live. He, farms aren't to keep animals just around as pets. No, look at Wilbur. Like he he wasn't gonna be slaughtered because he was a fucking special ass pig who'd like take home ribbons and shit and they'd make money off of and then while other people were going to see Wilbur they'd like sell pies and whatnot or the slaughtered remains of Wilbur's friends. That's something you never talk about in fucking Charlotte's Web and you really should. Because other animals died on the regular on that farm. And did you see Wilbur or Charlotte caring about them? No, but Wilbur, he's special. He's fucking retarded. Anyway. I think Some they still ate Wilbur. Wilbur probably got old, and they're like, well, time to put him out, and then they made bacon. Oh, no, Wilbur definitely died at some point. I mean, technically, as soon as Charlotte's dead, the one thing special about Wilbur goes to hell. That's true. Yeah, and then he's, he's you know, ham sandwiches. I just hope uh, Templeton got some. <laughs> Templeton always gets some. <laughs> That's the real moral of the story. It's not the kids' horror can. It's, it's just that. Uh... We've talked about uh, television so much. Why don't we talk a little bit about some of our favorite movie entries into the kids' canon? I think we can do a soft transition, though. Instead of just talking about the movies that inspired us, what about the TV movies? Cue the Disney Channel original movies franchises of (laughs) Halloween Town, Tower of Terror, Don't Look Under the Bed, Under Wraps, and Mom's Got a Date with a Vampire. 
holy shit, guys. I would live for October because they would do their monthly movie and they just unveil some wacky horror <laughs> light entry that wasn't scary at all, but had all my interests. The Phantom of the Megaplex. Just <laughs> all that stuff is my jam. I absolutely love them. And if those were out on DVD right now at Target, I would have a shopping cart full of them. I will not be afraid to mention that Under Wraps got me emotional and probably still would. <laughs> it's the best looking one. Man, um, Mummy was fantastic work. You gotta admit that. Oh, yeah. Uh, don't Look Under the Bed, I absolutely loved as a kid. And some of it weirdly stuck with me as actually vaguely scary. Like, some of the, the, some the, of the stuff... The monster design was... Oh, yeah. Yeah, the monster design was actually uh, kind of upsetting, because you wouldn't expect that to be on a Disney Channel movie. Those those things were very vanilla for the most part. There was never anything yeah, right. that could be considered offensive, and the violence there was mostly like a supervillain used a, a bolt of bad CGI to make someone stand still. Oh yeah, there for like toddler safe. But going back as an adult and watching, don't look under the bed. How was that made? Like <laughs> I appreciate its existence so much, but it is the most puzzling goddamn thing I have ever watched. How did this not confuse me as a child? That is a movie where somebody dead seriously says, Look, I'm turning into a boogeyman, okay? <laughs> I'm, I'm a little bummed. I don't think they make, like, monthly movies anymore. No. I mean, hell, I don't have Disney Channel anyway, so I couldn't watch them. I couldn't support them. But that was, that was such a wonderful facet of my childhood, just waiting for those. You knew each month there was a different movie. Most of them are probably going to be stuff like, you know, Xenon that you didn't have to care about. But every once in a while, you get a can of worms and, oh, yeah. Uh, the days <laughs> waiting for a can of worms to premiere. All those creature effects. Uh, memories. <laughs> Going a little deeper into the well and something a little more spooky than those. Uh, a lot of the Tim Burton, pretty much anything Tim Burton did was a good prepper for me to be into horror as a genre. Oh, yeah, very unsung as a uh, family-friendly horror director. Yeah, and hell, I mean, Batman Returns is clearly a superhero movie, but the Penguin is a monster. Like, that that's just a monster that escaped from another movie and wandered into a Batman film. Or even Edward Scissorhands, which is, he's the misunderstood monster, you're sympathetic to him, but he's a much more modern Frankenstein. I think he gets the point of Frankenstein across better to children than, you know, the older film does. Yeah. Probably because he doesn't pick up any kids and throw them into a lake by accident. That we know of. Then if he did, he would just know. slice them open. So probably best oh, he doesn't pick up a true. child. Yeah, yeah. But then uh, later day, Tim Burton has still kind of stuck with that. Uh, Miss Peregrine's, I think that might have been PG-13. And it, it does kind of feel like his version of the X-Men, but there's enough spooky stuff in there, especially Samuel L. Jackson's character, that makes it a good introductory movie for kids into uh, scarier stuff. Oh, Jackson eats a plate of children's eyeballs in that movie. It's delightful. <laughs> yes, he does. I'm going to have to go rewatch that now. It That's sounds like fun. fun. It is. Uh, I picked up the book, so I'm, I'm excited to see if the books are any good. I enjoy them a lot. Yeah. And, well, it, technically it's just Tim Burton produced, but The Nightmare Before Christmas, while in no ways scary, does feature every Halloween icon. So I feel like he can lump it in. And oh, if that doesn't get kids into horror, I don't know what will. <laughs> it amazed me the staying power of that movie because one hot topic still sells like 90% of the material based off of nightmare before Christmas and somehow in July and two, my, my niece 
she's pretty young. She's uh, seven. I hope that's right. Uh, she loves this movie. She wants to watch it all the time. She knows all the lines. She loves it. Absolutely loves it. It's amazing to me that that movie has held on as well as it has. It And honestly, it hasn't degraded in any way whatsoever. You go watch it now, and it's fantastic. It's lovely. Everything about that movie is so well made. And the look hasn't really degraded. Stop motion technology has gotten better, but this one doesn't look like a, you know, it doesn't look bad. If anything, the jerky animation in that movie looks better than the fluid animation in something like The Corpse Bride. It's more lifelike. Yeah, I'd agree. Well, The Corpse Bride has a pretty good reputation among younger kids, too. I mean, if I had to rank them, I'd definitely put Nightmare before Corpse Bride, but I like Corpse Bride. I like it a lot. And, hell, you can throw that on TV and not have to make any edits to it, and yet it, well, both of them are movies about skeletons. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I will disagree with your initial point, Cody. I found Oogie Boogie terrifying whenever I was a kid. He was made of bugs. You're right, you're right. I'll concede that one. At the end, when they unwrap him and he was just, my bugs, my bugs! (laughs) And he was horny, too. There's something also about the fact that. that he was made of bugs and horny that disturbed me as a child. <laughs> Those, hell, that's that's a great bridge. Those movies are still getting kids into horror, and I would say they're probably doing more so than anything else. As much as I love Gremlins, I have a feeling a lot of people aren't experiencing it as, as many are experiencing as they were in the past. I don't think it plays on TV as much. I think Almost people probably never. look at it and think, you know, the puppets are maybe a little outdated. Stuff like Poltergeist, I absolutely love, but I think that one's reputation is kind of fading. I don't think the new generation of horror fans are as into Poltergeist as the old ones were. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully it won't get to the point where you say Poltergeist and they're like, oh, Sam Rockwell. Oh, God. Ooh, that that day will never come. Don't hurt hopefully my not. heart. And I, I, by the way, I think you skipped over a big Burton one. I think just it's, it transcends Burton into something that I think all kids watched and they still do. Because it's so uh, sewn into popular culture at this point. And particularly, I think, when you're showing kids uh, something that's a little bit spooky, and that's Beetlejuice. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, 100%. It's almost like the ultimate kids' horror movie, because it's a fun adventure. It teaches you ghosts are okay, but it still has, like, really, like, kind of weird and unsettling, not for, a ki- not for kids, like, horror elements. There's just a hint of adult humor in there that probably goes past a kid's head, or a kid might get it, but they're not supposed to get it in front of their parents. Yeah, it is really weird rewatching Beetlejuice as a kid and be as an adult and being like, I watched a movie with a demon in a whorehouse in it whenever I was a little kid. <laughs> I watched Michael Keaton grab Gina Davis's pussy. That was allowed. And then they made a cartoon show out of it that I'm pretty sure everyone watched. <laughs> Uh, I really got to pick up that box set. Oh, yeah, you should. That show is still funny. I I I picked it up months ago at a Walmart just on a whim and did not regret that decision. There were some jokes in there that still made me bust the gut. I was in a weird position as a kid because I got into this show first. So when my parents rented the movie for me, it was so disturbing because, no, (laughs) why is Beetlejuice bad? It's like the gritty reboot. Why is he trying to marry her by force? They're supposed to be spooky buddies. (laughs) So yeah, well, Tim Burton still is making movies that are probably great for kids, and even movies that aren't that scary that probably play on TV and and get 
middle-aged audience. Well, middle-aged as in tweens. Stuff like Sleepy Hollow, I imagine, you know, 12, 13-year-olds feel they're old enough to watch. Yeah. And that's that's essentially functioning as a horror film. Film. On the other side of that, for modern-day stop-motion, Leica Studios keeps giving us quality stuff. We've got the Paranorman oh, yeah. and Coraline movies. Coraline absolutely knocks it out of the park. That one is just enjoyable for all audiences, but I, I think kids are really affected by it. The fact that Coraline is really put through the paces and she has to figure things out without the aid of her parents makes that one very, very creepy and I think emotionally affecting to kids. That one really hammers home to them that uh, the world is scary. That's something I've always respected about all of Neil Gaiman's stuff for younger audiences, which he never takes it for granted that uh, children are going to be invested in the stakes of his stories. He always goes out of his way to speak to children on their level and find all the little buttons to push to make them emotionally invest in that story. And Coraline is a masterpiece when it comes to that. Yeah. And Selleck is such a great director. He doesn't get enough credit because he doesn't have a huge number of movies out there. But boy, if, if your filmography consisted of just Nightmare Before Christmas and Coraline, holy shit. Like, that'd be amazing just for those two. I can't say anything about Monkey Bone. Show me the monkey. I've never actually seen that movie, so I can't judge it. I've seen, like, chunks of it on TV. but uh, I feel like chunks are enough. Neither here nor now. I feel like uh, kids kids have a decent selection of stuff, though. Coraline is uh, probably going to be memorable for them. I think that one hits TV pretty often. At the very least, my niece and nephew have very drastic opinions of it. My niece wants to watch it all the time, and my nephew thinks it's too creepy, even though he's the older one. Ugh. Which I think encourages my, my, my niece to watch it all the time because it creeps my nephew out just <laughs> just to piss him off like oh we're watching Coraline again but they've, they've got stuff like that and I, I think they'll grow up and they'll have those memories of button eyes to terrify them kind of like growing up I had the uh, the severed head haul from Return to Oz to terrify me <laughs> talk about an, an accidental addition to the canon of kids horror yeah that one's clearly a dark fantasy yeah not a horror movie. I'll draw. I'll draw the line on that one. But it did have some damn scary little moments. I'll never forget watching that for the first time at a relative's house at one o'clock in the morning on Cinemax. Wheelers, you behave. My parents were terrified of the flying monkeys. I was terrified of Wheelers. I like that there's a Wizard of Oz to get several generations. I really wish Ramy had introduced a new monster to terrify kids and been more successful. I don't know, the um, porcelain girl was pretty high up there. Um, so, I have a question. Did uh, you guys uh, sit around waiting for Ichabod and Mr. Toad to come on when you were a kid? And did you just wait for the Mr. Toad portion of the film to hurry up and end so you can get to Ichabod and the uh, Headless Horseman? I never bothered watching the uh, Mr. Toad portion. I think I More watched it once. I had one of the, I think, I think they made a golden book of Sleepy Hollow, the Disney version. And I, I, I have memories of just reading a book version, but not the original Irving story. I think story. so, yeah. I think I had yes. that, too. Yeah, so I, I don't think I really ever watched the actual series. I think I just read the book all the time. Even better, because you don't have to give a shit about Mr. Toad, then. I, I was very invested in Mr. Co Toad's stolen motor car. <laughs> he should have died for his sins. Honestly, Cody, <laughs> if there is any character you should identify with, it's Mr. Toad. Why am I Mr. Toad? 
the everything. <laughs> like, I feel like if Legos had existed during the Edwardian era, Mr. Toad would be collecting those in those books. But uh, that, that, that's actually something I was going to bring up. Was I the only one who noticed as a kid a weirdly plentiful amount of Legend of Sleepy Hollow adaptations geared towards children apropos of nothing? Yup, and they were all my jam. Let me tell you. Oh, yeah. You always knew there was going to be a new Headless Horseman something each year. (laughs) I was always mad at the end of those stories because it's like, Sleepy Hollow, return to normal, better than normal. Like it was basically like the the scary monster would go away, and then the town would become bright and sunny, which pissed me off. I'm like it was way better when it was spooky and cloudy. Remember the CGI yes, fox, Ichabod yes. Crane one that had a boob joke in it randomly? Yep, no. I was about to bring that up. Go back and uh, take a look at that. The CGI is atrocious, oh, almost yeah. unwatchably bad, but it still has one of my favorite endings of anything ever. When um. You you find out the person telling the story is Bronze Bone. He just gets up and takes off his head <laughs> and hands it to the guy and walks out. So, and just you see the headless horseman ride off into the night. It's the greatest thing ever when you're like ten. Warren even starts just blaring, "Rolling the headless Thompson gunner." Just remember what a fucking ninny Ichabod Crane was in that thing. Like they went out of their way to make him the worst person who could possibly exist. <laughs> he's kind of a loser. He's always kind of a loser, though. The Johnny Depp version is probably the least loserish that I can remember. That to me, when you were a kid, that was the crescendo of all that. There was so much Headless Horseman stuff. I was obsessed with the Headless Horseman, and then, but they were all pretty much geared towards kids. There were TV movies, there were specials, cartoons, blah blah blah, like some storybooks, and then you saw a TV spot for Sleepy Hollow. And it melted your brain. Oh, yeah. That was the biggest deal that year. And it was a Burton movie, so you're actually kind of allowed to watch it. Eh, Mike, how did you feel about the new Sleepy Hollow TV series? Well, not new. It was a couple of years ago. I never watched it. That's amazing to me. For someone who's so into it as a kid, I assumed you'd at least have to show up day one to see if it was worth anything. Oh, I can't wait to watch that police procedural that takes place in modern times about the Light of the Sourceman. But it was like Monster of the Week style, which could be kind of fun for that. It would but... be cool if it wasn't like on Fox in like the late 2000s. Honestly, I did, uh, just because it, uh, something else I watched came on right after it, I saw the tail end of a couple episodes. And I, and I, I did recognize that if I was a little bit younger or if I just felt like it really, I'd probably really get into this. It's not that bad. It's kind of aware and it's having a lot of fun. Like, I think some of it's real bad. Uh, if uh, yeah. sort of somewhere in the first season, there is an episode where, like, there's a, a, a like a Wendigo kind of monster going around killing people, and they can't figure out what the problem is. But then they think, oh, this might be a monster some uh, Native Americans would know about. So they just go to the first ones they can find. <laughs> like they just find some Native Americans at the edge of town, and they're like, "Tell us about this thing." And the guy's like, "Well, you have to smoke this peace pipe first. And I, I think he gets them to smoke some sort of psychedelic, and then that's how they figure out what's going on with the monster. Oh, TV writers, This no. is probably all very wrong, because I saw this years ago, and it was so disgusting at the time, like, not even paying full attention. But I just remember thinking how lazy and kind of weirdly racist it was. Like, 
All Native Americans know about Wendigos. We can ask any one of them. Just ask Wolverine. See, the stuff that I saw was from, like, um, Latter-day Season 2. So, it, yeah, uh, I think that show got booted, rebooted several times. Anyways, let's not focus on... <laughs> I don't know why we spent so much time talking about the new Sleepy Hollow. <laughs> let's backtrack. Back in time, everybody! I can, I can slowly walk us back into slightly older stuff, but not really. Over the Garden Wall. What a show. I oh, wish, yeah. I wish, I wish that had been on TV when I was a kid, because that would have been 1,000% my jam. It's not even all the way horror, but there's enough horror, especially at the end, where you could lump it in there. Yeah, it's such a, it's a specific type of fairy tale horror that you see very rarely in children, children's entertainment these days. It was a really nice throwback to that kind of stuff. And you see a lot of influences in it. Uh, of harkening back to like children's horror media stuff that the fairy tale quality it's all very like kids like spook cartoons from like the mid 90s specifically yeah and and the fact they made this show with kind of a complex plot compared to a lot of other things all the episodes tied together so you pretty much needed to watch them in order i think to get the most out of them even though they were episodes and the the last kind of episodes revealing the whole twist of the series, I thought was really wonderful. It didn't explain everything, but it still shed enough light to let you know, oh, hey, this is more deep than I originally thought. For a kid's show, that's amazing. They really trusted that uh, younger kids would be able to follow along or at least appreciate it later when they came back to it as adults. So uh, we've, we've hit a lot of shows. I think in the interest of time, maybe let's just kind of lightning around a couple more of ours. I think for me, another huge one would be Hocus Pocus, and that one's only gaining ground. More people probably like it now than any time in the past, and that one's catching out with kids. Uh, if you look at the rest of our stuff from this month, we kind of had a soft theme going building to this episode. We covered The Witches, which is terrifying. The Halloween Tree, which is spooky, so holds up pretty good. Uh, the original and the remake of Invaders from Mars, Monster Squad, uh, Stephen Summers' Mummy movie, Labyrinth? Labyrinth was terrifying to me. I don't know. Maybe that's just my experience. Well, David Bowie in those pants. Oh, yeah. Milk and peppers. <laughs> I know a big one for me, mostly because this was played on cable so much, and I know it's one that, uh, Mike, you have a lot of affection for as well, Little Monsters. Oh, yeah. Which I rewatched just this morning for the first time since I was like 12, and yeah... My feelings on that movie still have not changed. <laughs> Little Monsters was always the one as a kid that made me feel like I wasn't old enough to watch it. And watching it as an adult, it's like, yeah, this is a genuinely creepy movie. Howie <laughs> 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 Mandel is giving a terrifying performance. And the monster designs are like legitimately grotesque. Like that is a freaky movie. Kids Nightbreed. Pretty much. That should be the tagline on the box. Speaking of, kind of, kind of along the lines of, I'm too young to be watching this. That's how I felt the first time I watched Lost Boys. Like, I'm, I'm still not exactly sure who that's designed for. I enjoy it, but it, it feels like it's supposed to be for kids, but it also has the content for adults. It's for the right person at the right time. It's like your lady love. <laughs> I don't yeah, even I think that's a bad way to say it. I feel the same way about Gremlins. Gremlins is always the right movie the first time you watch it, whenever you watch it. Oh, yeah. For me, like, some of my favorites, a lot of them have already been mentioned, like, Something Wicked This Way Comes, uh, The Witches, 
uh, little monsters, of course. But um, big one for me, the Adams Family movie. The oh, 90s. totally. Yes. Absolutely goddamn love it. <laughs> um, weirdly, the Casper movie. Yeah. Doesn't hold up, really, but it's interesting, yeah. though. It was just um, but, because I think we saw it when it was new, and that was still, like, exciting CGI, and, you know, hey, check it out, it's Christina Ricci, before she kind of vanished. Yeah. Um, but some of the other ones that we uh, haven't really talked about, but The Gate, oh, which skewers, like, skewer, like, back and forth, hardcore between kind of adult horror and kid horror, and that's kind of what's special about it. Like, it kind of freaked me out as a kid. <laughs> but it also exemplifies what's great about kid horror because you know it's it's got a classic like babysitter situation and just gets really dark it suddenly starts dealing with hell parents are removed from the whole situation and the kids have to you know deal with this threat and it has some absolutely incredible effects in it but honestly yeah. my biggest one and I'm so glad that rewatching it recently uh, told me that it totally it holds up. Is Ernest Scared Stupid? Oh, I can't believe we forgot to mention that until now. That was the king of my childhood. Same, honestly, maybe one of the finest children's spook films of all time. <laughs> that is one of the finest kids movies of all time. It's like a lost Joe Dante movie. How on God's green earth does Ernest Scared Stupid hold up as much as it does? And like 100%, it's still funny. The The scares in it actually still really work. Which it should neither one of those things should still work. The joke shouldn't still be funny. The scares should be terrible. But no, it's all there. You could still that to a kid today and probably still have the same effect on them. And it's just fun. Excellent creature designs. I wonder if kids still know about Ernest. I'm always yeah. surprised by like what my niece and nephew know about and don't know about. Like I can mention the N64 and they'd be like, what the hell is this thing? What? What? But if I mention Adam Family that are like all about that, they've seen it. They love it. They'll get a lot of play on TV. That might help. Probably. They're, yeah. But I mean, even a lot of the shows I know all about or movies I assume, like, my nephew would have seen by now. He went through my movie collection the other day, and he was very confused. He's like, what's this District 9 thing? I'm like, you're 11. How do you not know about the, the movie where aliens get blown up and have laser gun battles? How do you not know about all this ethnic subtext? <laughs> this stuff is like kid crack. But he, he knows about Predator, so he's got that down. Just Predator 1. He never saw 2 or 3. I think it's I think um, what's playing on like TNT still applies whenever you're a kid today, even with all of the uh, even with streaming media and all that. I think that still kind of applies. Yeah. Which makes me really curious what kids are going to be finding in this generation just because of fucking algorithms. Other than those finger family videos that are already sending kids to therapists. Salad fingers. Salad fingers. Nettles. <laughs> I like the idea of kids these days growing up fearing salad fingers like we feared Freddy Krueger. They should. They wouldn't be wrong. Mom, there's a bad man in the internet that wants to get me. Well, I can't a, argue with that. They've got creepypasta now. True. And they Five Night at Freddy's. They have all that Slenderman. It's Slenderman too. That's the new Goosebumps. <laughs> I thought that was Welcome to Fear Street. Got me there. Those are back now. I, I literally just bought one at Target last week. Yeah, I'm glad there's a resurgence of that. I don't think Arl Stein ever went away. I think he's just been biding his time between movie adaptions. 
Writing man thing. Yeah, that's something I did want to hammer home with this episode is like, it's easy to talk about kids or like it's something that existed exclusively in the 80s and 90s when no one cared about children. But like we're really seeing a return with that in the past couple of years, most notably with Goosebumps coming back, this time with even more Jack Black. I mean, I can't speak for older generations. I feel the closest I can get to is you know, reading a Stephen King book where he goes on and on about growing up making monster models and uh, seeing I was a teenage werewolf. So I assume that's what they're into. drive through scary movies designed for like the teen crowd. But I don't know. Maybe it was all very similar and they just didn't have as much access. I, th- I think going back forever, kids have always had an interest in, in horror. And I-, I think there's a lot of reasons for that. And, and some we've we-, we talked about. But what kid horror means, I think, is actually more important than just nostalgia. Horror... The genre of horror, as it encompasses all, and you know, tales of spooks and like campfire tales and all that, all that stuff is ancient, like ancient storytelling. Because to me, my feelings to horror is that horror is the language of humanity, whether anyone wants to admit that or not. Because you see people now arguing the nun is not a horror movie because that's a dirty word, I guess. <laughs> Well, how the hell would The Nun not be a horror movie? It's about a demon poses a nun who murders people. As a historical thriller, Cody. <laughs> um, but p- part of the reason I say that is because our brains are wired for survival. They're, they're not actually wired for happiness or elation or joy or anything. It's always survival first. So horror going back throughout history is a teaching tool. Like, first and foremost, that's what it is. Stories of dangers that lurk in the dark, not to talk to strangers, be wary, be on edge, be cautious. Uh, And there's kind of a tinge I've always found interesting that horror is also about acknowledging the unknown because you don't actually know everything. And there's a lesson that horror has about how important that is. So... By actual definition, horror is weirdly enough a child's medium. And like I said earlier, being a child is terrifying. And few actually acknowledge the fact that being a child is terrifying. And honestly, I think it takes a lot of reflection to realize just how scary being a child is. You don't even really realize it as an adult unless you seriously sit down and think about what it was like. Because you don't, you have a lot of, uh, naivete as a kid and a lot of it goes over your head because you just can't really process it so a lot just gets buried deep but it's because everything you're experiencing is strange and new everyone like is towering over you and you're just helpless and you have no like power over yourself um it's one of the interesting like psychological reasons kids play with toys that are just like little humans or why kids anthropomorphize, like, everything. It's because when we were kids, it, it, it gives control to chaos. So we cannot control ourselves because, you know, fucking our parents pick our clothes out for us, for God's sake. <laughs> so we control, like, the things that are even smaller than us. Horror is the same way. It gives control to chaos. Like, when you're a kid, it doesn't bullshit you like i said earlier like it just 
It's very straight. There's, and no matter what the tone of it is either, which I always think is very interesting. Goosebumps, Are You Afraid of the Dark, or Monster Squad, uh, or Little Monsters, and even more, more like towards the adult scary on the uh, like Richter scale of horror. Kid horror isn't actually very safe very often. I think that's the point because kid horror is catharsis, like be it of real world type fears. Um, like Grimm's fairy tales, which the entire reason they existed was to tell kids about actual things that they could encounter, but through a lens of fairy tale and terror and monsters and witches and blah, blah, or, or can, you know, also be fears of something not real, like something under your bed, like, um, the gates, which I talked about kind of like fucked me up in a lot of ways. Because when I was real little, because of the scene in the gate, I was afraid of something under my bed. Because there's a scene where hands reach out and, like, grab the sister, like, by her ankles and, like, try to pull her under the bed. And all you ever see are is it, are its hands. And it freaked me the fuck out. So I would do, like, the classic running and jumping into bed thing. <laughs> Can't get me if my feet aren't on the floor. <laughs> exactly. I would do, uh, somehow try and race from the bottom of my basement steps to the top. Like, I could somehow beat the light going off. <laughs> I used to do the same thing, yeah. Faster than the dark! <laughs> I like how all kids just instinctively knew how to deal with the fake monsters that were in their lives. All in the same exact way. Um, but, like, I got my fear from that because of the gate. But at the same time, the gate taught me that I could fight the thing under my bed and survive. Uh, which I... It's just kind of an interesting dichotomy of how those things work. It puts the fear in you, but tells you that it's okay. Little monsters, in the same way, taught me that the creatures looking there might have a little bit more in common with me than I would think. The surprise twist ending of this episode, Mike, is that you actually fought the monsters and lost. And this has been hell all along! <laughs> no! <laughs> and you're actually in Vietnam still. Aww. Baby Damn mom. it, I went straight down the ladder. Um, <laughs> but um, what I'm, I'm saying is, like, horror is built for the child's mind. And besides the fact that horror is cool, making yourself scared in a controlled environment makes you in control of your own fear. So when everything is utter terror at every moment of the day, whether you, want to, whether you fully acknowledge it or not, Actually experiencing something, even as innocuous as goosebumps, can relieve that tension, uh, even if it gives you nightmares. Um, and so much of horror is anecdotal or allegorical. It's a perfect teaching tool, I think, for young minds. Because you get a lot about morality or societal mores. Or I, I think I learned personally more about life from horror movies than anything else. And the fact that when it actually comes to the weightiest horror, kids' horror is actually kind of the weightiest. Like, look at Bradbury. Like, every Bradbury story is swimming in, like, so much subtext and overt text, it could choke you. And a desire to kill all children. And age rapidly. Um, uh, 25 years, 46. Bradbury. 27! Um, <laughs> Just so much joy out of ripping book pages out. <laughs> <laughs> and... What's great is all those things are incredibly subtle about it most of the time because, you know, throwing out one line or two lines out, and as we've mentioned before many times on this podcast, but just even earlier, 
kids don't really need much. Uh, one brief mention of like an adult emotional concept or struggle or whatever will give a kids the full spectrum of emotion that adults need to like be hit over the head with a sledgehammer with to like fully grasp. That's why we get in a lot of like conversations about, oh, I feel like this could have been a little bit more. This could have been a little bit more. But a kid just needs one line in a two-hour movie, and they're, they're good. There's, like, a, going back to the gate, there's a throwaway line in there about one of the kids not, like, being the same since his mother left and his dad never being around and how people hurt and secret and in different ways. And that's all you need as a kid to get what's going on, and you never go back to that with that kid. That's your one instance of, of learning about what's going on there, and it's enough to tug at something. And on top of that, adults, I don't think, grasp how much fun horror is to you at that age, because there is a very thin line between reality and, oh, vampires totally exist. Like, for when you're eight, any episode of Goosebumps could just happen. You could say cheese and die anytime. Exactly. You could, could be a little be Ryan Gosling. Sponge under the sink who feeds off your misery. That's that's always there. That's in every house. <laughs> and like uh, when I was a kid, fucking Fright Night was the shit to me because it was it, it had the most simple of like what if setups. And after that, it was practically like an adventure film. Um, and I got to see nipples, so that was cool. But um, <laughs> can that be on your tombstone? It, uh, yeah, it would be appropriate. More not for me. I once saw a nipple. But, um, uh, with the success of Stranger Things and the nostalgia train looking back at the, uh, spooky kid adventure tones from, like, the 80s and 90s, to me, like, that isn't being super popular purely for nostalgia or reference porn. And that's a fun part of it, don't get me wrong. But it's... Returning to the roots of why that stuff existed in the first place, in my opinion, and it's the stuff that I think got lost um, probably post-Scream, I think. Kind of when that new teen wave of horror hits. Uh, that's when you, that's around the time you started seeing Disney Channel sort of move on. You started seeing a lot of the kid horror movies, family-friendly horror movies move on. All, all that stuff sort of started, began to die out. And then horror died shortly thereafter. So... It uh, it all kind of came away. The R.L. Stein adaptions became few and far between, but there were some kind of in the mid two thousands. We I, uh, we did start getting a like new wave of kids horror stuff with the aforementioned Coraline, Paranorman, and Monster House. I want to bring up Monster House. You mentioned it once before. We we brushed past it though. Damn it, Monster House Monster is very House. good. Monster House is a fucking masterpiece. I love that piece so much. Moving on. And and Monster House is actually getting more of a resurgence after being dead. It's actually getting a lot of, like, cable play these days, which is pretty good. But, um, we're, like, after that, I don't think they were kind of relegated to off-the-side stuff, where I think they would have been more mainstream back in the day. But now they are getting a bit of a resurgence as, as they're being seen as, like, a greater market because, funny enough, that's coming about due to things like Stranger Things coming out, which are adult properties, arguably. And they're playing to adult nostalgia, but I think it's creating an environment where executives are going, hey, remember that stuff from when we were kids? Weren't we, like, kids when that stuff came out and we, like, 
liked it a lot and spent a lot of money on it, so we should probably make a lot more of that stuff for kids, you know? Which leads us to, like, the Goosebumps movie or, or Clock in Its Walls. And a new one that just came out on Netflix, Creeped Out, which is, like, a really wonderful throwback to Goosebumps and Are You Afraid of the Dark and all that, but without being nostalgic. Like, it is for a kid audience. It's for, It knows the kid audience doesn't know what those things are. It's kind of just carrying the spirit forward of that. And then, you know, uh, over the garden wall, you have Gravity Falls, which was gigantic. And you have the Owl oh, House yeah. coming out, uh, which should continue that. Or I'm feeling hopeful for, like, the return of that right now. I, I think, especially as horror is getting bigger and bigger and, and making all of the monies, I, I feel good that they're going to explore that market more. I think they've been dipping their toes in it very carefully to see what happens but since money is being made i think we're gonna see a lot more of that come to tv channels and and whatnot and to me that's kind of where it belongs because it horror ultimately works best when it's playing to a child's brain that's kind of where it's most pure because a lot of adult horror just ends up sometimes being gore fest a lot of the time whenever it's seen as adult horror yeah Um, it happens and that stuff's good, too. I like gore. Don't but... take my tongue cutting away from me. <laughs> um, But it, it's why we love that stuff even now is because of what we were exposed to as kids. It's why these tones constantly make a comeback and come in waves. Because the, the kids' canon of horror makes us feel something that uh, high horror, adult horror, whatever you want to call it, can't quite do. Because even when you go back and watch that stuff now, it, it still has a, a ting to it. It kind of just taps into something. Certainly in more of a primordial way that we process um, emotion, like fear, sadness, longing, what, what, whatever, what, whatever have you. When our ability to deal with those things were less complicated and noisy, I guess, is the best way to put it. And I think kids' horror has a way even when you're an adult, of, like, cutting through all of your own personal bullshit. So, more to a time when we could sit back and be wowed by the haunted mask, when we bond with friends uh, at school over the newest goosebumps, when all the chaos and confusion of growing up would fall away, kind of between credit roll and credit scroll, to when we'd feel a little bit closer to what goes bump in the night, and to know... The, the most important lesson that can be imparted to a child. It's okay to be afraid. Oh, well, I don't think I have anything to add to that other than, Jamie, can you sing the Goosebumps rap? Dun, 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 dun. That's all I know. Oh, let me let me get you the lyrics. Jack Black made this thing. <laughs> Bump's gonna goose ya. Oh, Was that it? No, it's much longer than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> I think this episode has gone long enough, Cody. Oh boy, I'll let you decide. Jesus Christ! Viewer beware, you're in for a scare. Goosebumps. The bump's gonna goose ya. 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 Welcome y'all to the dead house. But you better stay out of the basement. Yeah, you'll be in some deep trouble. If you don't heed my statement, the goosebumps are a-coming, and they want monster blood, y'all. So you best say cheese and die, or all of them creeps will call. 
when young Zach Cooper moved to town, my man RL saw trouble. And now that he's unlocked the books, this whole place will be rubble. So when the shocker hits Shock Street, you better know that you're dead meat. And you can't hide underneath your bed sheets. Because here comes the Goosebumps. Here comes the Goosebumps. <laughs> Goosebumps. Oh, can we change the show name? Goosebumps. Woo! I'm all for that, to be honest. Bump's gonna goose you. <laughs> I'm not doing the rest. <laughs> That's fine. There's like <laughs> another ten verses. <laughs> they, bring in, they bring in Slappy at some point. He has lines. Yeah, do so the Goosebumps dance. All right, dance till you die. <laughs> a lot of Bump's gonna goose you, like 30 of those. Anyways, viewers beware. You're in for a scare. This has been Box Office Pulp. Get the hell out of here after you go check out our other fine products available on Blogspot, Stitcher, iTunes, Facebook, Twitter. Look up Box Office Pulp and you'll find us lurking somewhere on the internet. And check out this and all of our many other fine Pulp Podcast Network shows at pulppodcastnetwork.wordpress.com. Jack Black was really fucking high when he wrote this, wasn't he? <laughs> Jack, we need you to make a funny song about the goosebumps. I'll do my best. Hold on, let me use this guitar pick I got from Satan. And like that, he's gone. This is Box Office Pulp Guy, and this has been a Pulp Podcast production. Now please, 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 put a gun in my mouth and pull the trigger and say goodnight. And now, on with the show.